If you want to get somebody's attention, just tell them a great story. And have we got one for you today. It is steeped in history and British royalty, including a certain castle you have seen on Downton Abbey. And it is also a glimpse into a life very few women experience. Hi, this is your host, Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. We're zooming to the UK for an up-close and personal chat with a real live countess. She is Fiona, the eighth Countess of Carnarvon, and a distinguished author in her own right, who lives at Highclere Castle with her husband, the Earl of Carnarvon. One of the world's most ancient and beautiful places, it is where Downton Abbey is filmed, and the latest Downton Abbey movie debuts this month. It's also the name of the superbly made Highclere Castle Gin. Have you tried it? It's made in a local distillery with botanicals from the garden at Highclere, and it's based on a handwritten secret recipe. But more than anything else, this interview is about the stewardship of the land and the castle, which have been handed down for hundreds and hundreds of years from generation to generation. It is also about the people who once lived there and those who will someday live there in the future. Lady Carnarvon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gandhi. Describe the room that you are in right now. Maybe it's your favorite room at Highclere. It's the room I sit in when I write, and it's got quite good internet connections because it's jolly useful for research. <laughs> so it's on the top floor of the castle, which means there's quite a lot of steps to get up here. And it's painted the most amazing papyrusy color, which is quite warm, with beautiful coving. And my desks and my mess of books are all around me with, of course, computer screens, which is terribly positive. When I began writing, and there's an archive room along a corridor not far from here, there was no electricity on this floor. And I used to come up to do some research when it was light with my laptop, which was on battery charged. And then when it got dark, I had to stop what I was doing because I couldn't see. So it's a joy to have light. Living in a castle is also a labor of love. You have 5,000 acres, including gardens and a farm, and you're very involved in the day-to-day -day running of the property. Can you walk us through your day just a little bit? Well, today I actually began with a swim in cold water because I'm a cold water swimmer for a few minutes and it was very, very cold <laughs> and some exercise. And then after that, I take the dogs for a walk and then I guess I hit my first meeting by nine o'clock in the morning. And like everybody else, it's, the days are punctuated by meetings. Today was quite an amusing day because one of our horses had got stuck between two fences. And then I had to call for help to come and cut the fence open, hold the horse, feeding it polos, which was in my jacket. And then at the end of it, all walk back again. So for an hour and a half, I was stuck in a field. I have to say the horse was entirely fine and wanted to gallop off, <laughs> which wasn't also very successful. So it's gone back to a stable just to be checked over. But crikey, it, Highclere always springs surprises on you. And it's normally what's happening, well, outside the trees or the gardens or like any other business, it's about people and trying to manage and encourage them. What breed are your dogs? I have four Labradors and three Spaniels. So 
they're also pleased to see me and during some of the down times, which I think we've all had during the last two years of COVID, they've been so important for persuading me. It's always a good idea to go for a walk. It's always a good idea to get outside. And there's something wonderful about every day because for the Spaniels and Labradors, there is. There's another bin to be inspected by Labrador and another exciting scent to find if you're a Spaniel. So they, I think they're very good for the soul dogs. You are so right about that. And also, I've been remiss, and I'm hoping that you and your family have done okay through this COVID pandemic. We're still here. I think that's a huge (laughs) success story and achievement. You know, Highclere Castle is heritage, leisure, hospitality. It's a business which relies on people coming, eating, drinking, having conversation and laughter, obviously drinking cocktails. And that is exactly what was prohibited and could be dangerous to our health. So, It has been a huge challenge, and I think we all learn a lot about each other and the business we're in. And perhaps as we go forward, we set sail with a slightly different set of sails, if you like. The castle has such a rich history. Can you tell us a little bit about when it was built and maybe some highlights of that history? I greeted a tour today outside the castle, and one of my opening lines, which I think the guides have heard too often, is guess what sort of building you're looking at. When do you think it was built? And most people who have watched Downton Abbey, because Downton and Highclere are one and the same building, one and the same set, that there is no difference, they normally think it's Victorian. Because, of course, Downton began with the sinking of the Titanic in the Edwardian period, just after the Victorian period. But that's not the whole truth, and we play a guessing game. In fact, the earliest written records of a home at Highclere are 749 AD. There therefore has been a home at Highclere built on the same site, taking different shape, has been transformed, recycled, adapted for 1,200 years. And it was owned by the church for 800 years. And then my husband's family bought it in 1679. So it's had two owners over that time, which is perhaps one of the most important legacies. My latest book is a book called Seasons at Highclere, because I wanted to share through stories and photographs, stories of the trees that grow here, of the oak trees from Elizabeth I's time, of the Iron Age fort from 4,500 BC, of the medieval palace in the 14th century, to walk you through time and space across the lawns. I think sometimes when the world feels quite fragile and half broken as it does today, looking back in history can give us anchors and points of reassurance and touchstones to perhaps think about as we try to figure out a way forward. So I feel very lucky to be stewarding a house, which I think does give us touchstones. And I think that's what Downton Abbey's also given us as well. I agree with you so completely. And you use the word steward. When you live in a home like this with such a rich history, you are a steward of that home and a steward of that history. Don't you agree? Yes. I mean, we're just here, Geordie and I are tenants for our lifetime. It's actually quite a biblical phrase, which is, you know, picked up in the Bible quite often about being tenants. And that's what we are. And I think these houses are a wonderful lesson for us in that, because we are just here for our short lifetime, far shorter than the cedar trees or the oak trees or what we're trying to look after. And we're trying not to muck it up. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we're all fans of Downton Abbey. And as you said, the castle is the home of the television show. The characters Lord Robert and Lady Cora Grantham are modeled after you and your husband, the Earl of Carnarvon. Definitely not. No, no. Uh, (laughs) Definitely not. Are they similar? Are they dissimilar? Tell me all about it. I think they're completely dissimilar, other than the fact that Julian Fellows, the creator and writer of Downton Abbey, has often stayed with us at Highclere Castle. So he's sat and, you know, my husband's often said he's a steward, he's a tenant for his lifetime. And I think that's definitely come across a bit in sometimes what Lord Grantham said, which is jolly useful. It's a very good way of of trying to share what our thoughts are so that I think people can understand the roles of these houses today, which are not the aristocratic, you know, slightly more patronizing or piles of stone and ways of life that they have been in the past. I think it's about walking together, which perhaps comes less across than that I hope it does today. We were talking about the history of the home, and it was once owned by the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, who discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun. And there is an exhibit that you created in your cellar. We've never really promoted it because it then got overtaken by Downton Abbey, so we didn't need to. So now in the year 2022, being the centenary of the discovery, we're beginning to work out what we can do and how we can share the first global media event. So it's rather fun. And that's then obviously combined with the fact there's a new Downton Abbey film coming out. So, oh, my God, aren't we lucky? (laughs) So we're just trying to make the best of it, you know, come back a little bit from where we were and go forward. So, yeah, it's exciting. Highclere was also used as a field hospital during World War One. Tell me a little bit about that. In fact, it was a first rate, proper working hospital with an operating theatre. And Almina, my predecessor, the fifth countess, was an extraordinary woman and she saved the lives of hundreds of men. So there's no greater gift. She gave her money and her time and her skills and her experience In the archives, I found three or four hundred letters from the men who had been here, from the brothers, from the sisters, from the mothers, Candy. And I wanted to share with all of you, through Lady Armina, The Real Downton Abbey, which is the book that I wrote, the story. And it was really rather wonderful to write a story about a woman, because often these houses are associated with the men, which is fair enough. But actually, it's kind of a double act. And there were some very moving letters in there, which inevitably made me cry. So I was writing it whilst I was crying, saying things like, Dear Lady Carnarvon, you sat with me through that first night when I didn't know whether I wished to live or die, but you gave me the courage to live again. And they've regarded this as a place of paradise. There were letters from mothers in Canada because America hadn't yet joined the war. This was in 1915. And it, the letter from Canada sort of said, you know, dear Lady Carnarvon, I'm thousands of miles from my son at a time I would most likely be by his side. But your letters and telegrams of reassurance suggest that I may yet see him again. And I and other mothers in Canada will remain eternally in debt to you. It's wonderful to think that women such as you in England do so much for our sons. It's an extraordinary legacy. And is there any more important legacy? Tell me the story of the old recipe that was handwritten many, many years ago containing the very special ingredients for Highclere Castle Gin. Oh, well, yeah, well, that was quite fun. I was looking through some archives 
five books. I opened it looking for D-Day in 1944 because General Patton came here for lunch and I wanted to try to put together a story about it for a lecture I was giving. Whereupon I opened the box and instead of finding anything of the least useful for what I wanted, I found some notes from the butler about a cocktail using London dry gin. So that was a really good bit of luck. I can see where I was standing quite clearly, Candy, but it's an amazing place. Anyway, the London dry gin was jolly useful and the cocktails. So clearly it was an essential ingredient for cocktails. And that's where we are now with High Clay Castle Gin, which my husband wanted to kind of find inspiration in our orangery. And that provided the basis for some of the botanicals within High Clay Castle Gin, which is made in the oldest distillery in this country, which is rather wonderful, with botanicals which are inspired all from here. So it's now won, I think, 47 gold and platinum awards. So it's not a spirit in a bottle. It's a very special, amazing, extraordinary gin, world-class gin from a world-class house. We just launched the gin before the pandemic. So I'm incredibly proud of everyone's efforts to keep it going. It's not ideal launching a new gin, a new brand, and then you crash into a pandemic. So I think what the American team have done, led by Adam von Gutkin, is extraordinary. And obviously, I'll do anything I can to support them. And we're a part of it. It's a great Anglo-American collaboration, Candy. And, and again, I think collaborations, partnerships, Putting a hand across an ocean is so important, particularly in the world today, which seems to me so split so often and such a worrying place. This is good. It's positive. A couple questions for you, because I believe whenever we profile a woman, it's so interesting to hear a little bit about her early life. I've done some research and I know that you are the eldest of six girls. What was life like in your house when you were growing up? Oh, thank you, Candy. I adore my sisters. And we're all very close. So I think you ended up learning to share because you had to. You had to figure out about the word compromise. You didn't have much of your own space or privacy. We were expected to work hard and do our best because you can't ask any more of anyone. So that's what it's about. Our parents were always encouraging and a good balance for us. We led quite an outside life of riding and rock climbing and being tomboys, (laughs) as well as academic work. And I then went to St. Andrews University in Scotland, which I love, part of my family is Scottish, which was amazing, and then trained as a chartered accountant. So I didn't know what else to do, so I tossed up between law and accountancy, and I became an accountant. And do you know, the process of audit candy is something which... I was so grateful for the discipline of it as we made our way through the pandemic because audit is about looking at what happened in the audit files in the year before, assessing it, looking at where a company is, looking at the process you're going to do, understanding the risks, carrying it out, finishing it. It's got got a budget. It's got a completion date. And I was very grateful for the discipline of that in terms of trying to work out the protocols the discipline, and the process for surviving the pandemic. It reminds me of an old expression that I love, which is no knowledge is ever wasted, right? No. 
for I and my sisters, the turning point was the fact that our father died far too young and our mother died not long after. And we ended up being orphans. And you end up realizing that life is short, that what matters most has been taken from you, that you have to deal with an awful lot of stuff. There was no help in terms of grief. You know, I remember when Dad died, we'd never been to a funeral. So it was, well, what happens now? What happens to the body? What do we do? You know, there was no help in the hospitals. There was no counselling. There was nothing. So I think you learn about kindness. Those who were kind to us mattered hugely. And again, then, you know, when your mother dies as well, people were wondering what to do, how to treat us, because they had never met us. You then, I think, are a better person because if something happens, you go towards them and you put your arm around them and say, how can I help? So you remember the people who did that and you give back. Part of what I went through has given me more courage today to try things because if I get it wrong, if, if the book that I write is rubbish, well, fine, people will tell me that and I can do better. But it gives you the courage to try and it gives you the courage to do something, which otherwise I probably wouldn't have done, Candy. It gives you the courage to step outside your comfort zone because suddenly you, you have no comfort zone. You have a son. May I ask you how motherhood changed you? It's a very powerful thing, isn't it? He was wonderful because he was born a month after my mother died. So he was a wonderful gift of life and love at that particular time for all of us, actually, apart from myself and my husband. So that was lovely. And he's now 22. So it's been a fantastic couple of decades. And I also inherited two stepchildren who were four and five when I met my husband. And now they're 30 and 29 or something like that. So they're also on their way through their journey of life. So I kind of added them on like younger siblings because that's kind of how I did it. I don't know how you're supposed to act as a stepmother, but it's just we were all a large family finding our way through the holidays and the term times and everything else. Last couple questions I ask every woman who sits where you are. And Lady Carnivan, thank you so much for your time today. The first question is, when an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I look at it and understand whether I can divert (laughs) round it and whether I have to climb the obstacle or what the obstacle actually is. Is it a path I should be following? Is that what I'm looking at? Or is there another way around it if it looks exhausting? What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And can you pass that along to our listeners around the world? I think it's from a rather special man called Sir David Alliance, who is an Iranian Jew. And he came over to this country and built a fortune an American story, actually, that is, isn't it? And he was a friend of my pa's, and my pa had always helped him out. He always helped everybody. And I was sitting in the office, and he'd called me after Dad died to see if I was okay. And the minute he called, because he's so nice, I burst into tears. And he said, Fiona, why are you crying? And I said, well, I can't cope at all. He said, have you done your best? And I said, I have tried to do my best today, David. And he said, well, God doesn't ask anymore, so come and have supper. Oh. <laughs> so simple and so clear, right? Very simple, very clear. And it's about the simple things in life. Final question. <laughs> ah, final question for you. Right now, in this chapter of your life, 
What does success mean to you, Lady Carnivan? Well, I don't think that I am necessarily successful. I'm just going through the journey of where I am today. I'm doing my best each day, as Sir David Alliance suggests. And then at the end of each day, falling asleep, hopefully, <laughs> and waking the next day. I, I don't think that I think I am particularly successful. I'm just doing what I'm doing. Don't think of it like that at all, actually, Candy. So I'm probably entirely hopeless for your question. I think <laughs> I'm was, just doing what I'm doing. I think it was a great answer to that question. And I thank you so much for your time today. And I know it's the evening. I hope you have a lovely evening. I hope you sleep really well tonight. Thank you so much. Oh, Candy, thank you so much for asking me onto your podcast. I really appreciate it. It's a joy. And that's the story behind her success for this week. If you know a woman I should interview for the show, reach out and tell me about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. There's also a full library of stories for you to listen to anytime you need a little dose of inspiration. Follow me on Facebook at Candy O'Terry Official and on all other platforms at Candy O'Terry. And whether you're listening on one of our radio affiliates or from your smartphone, we'll have a fresh episode for you next week on the story behind her success. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise.